0: So there's a lot of things about health in general that aren't in your control, right? Your genetic makeup and sometimes even things like for a lot of folks, the kind of food they have access to or what they're sort of able to afford or or prepare or whatever sometimes can be challenging. But sleep is one of those things that you can control. I mean, we're both parents. We know that some nights you can't control it. Kids wake up and you gotta go deal with it. But to the extent that you can, keeping in mind all of those things that affect sleep, what time of day you eat, whether or not you have alcohol before bed, trying to go to bed at a consistent time. Those are all levers to keep in mind and things that, again, with some effort, you can kind of control that can have that sort of downstream effect.
1: I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new Level. Sleep. If you ask many people, they will say they don't get enough of it or they know they should get more of it. And If you read the book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, you know that sleep is integral for our overall health and wellness. Well, it's a bit anecdotal. People do know this, but how does sleep relate to metabolic health? It's one of the most important factors when you start to think about glucose stability, maintaining healthy glucose levels and maintaining lower variability over time. So we've got this article on our blog all about a study that was done on sleep and metabolic health outside of the type one and type two community. So Mike Haney, Haney as you've come to know him, editorial director at Levels, he and I sat down and we discussed how sleep impacts things like your glucose levels the next day. What does poor quality sleep do? What does poor duration of sleep do? And we deconstructed this article and discussed what was done, why it happened, and what were some of the findings around metabolic health and sleep. We didn't go too deep into the science behind it, but we discussed a lot of the findings in the research. If you find sleep and metabolic health interesting, this is one to listen to. Here's a conversation with Haney. So we've got this study. What exactly was it? Where? <laughs> what happened with it? Where was it published? When did
0: it come out? Sure. So this study came out uh, end of last year, end of, of 2021. Uh, it was done in combination with uh diabetes center in sweden and the harvard Chan public school of health here uh, and actually most of the population that was studied was in the uk and there was a little component that was in the, the u.s about 10 percent of the component was in the u.s but the the controls and the whole setup was the same uh for um for all participants and a couple of things were sort of unique about this study that drove us to cover it, you know, there's a lot of research out there about sleep and metabolic health and the connections, and and we've written a fair amount about it on the blog. But a couple things caught our eye here that made this study kind of unique. The first and probably the biggest is that the population studied here, and it was about a thousand people, um, were healthy subjects. So typically, one of the things that we see in in a lot of the metabolic health research, uh, whether it's sleep or anything else that we're looking at, is The research is done kind of for for self-evident reasons in people who have some sort of metabolic dysfunction, whether that's diabetes, often diabetes, sometimes it's prediabetes, sometimes even obesity, because you're trying to find ways to make people who already have some kind of impairment better, right? So a lot of the studies about nutritional interventions or sleep effects are in those populations, and that's great, but it's a little challenging for the kind of audience that we're trying to talk to on the blog, which is a broader audience who might not have these problems yet. Um, and, you know, our whole goal here is to try to help people not develop some of those problems, um, you know, like type two diabetes or obesity. And so we want to know what the effects of these various things are when you don't already have a problem, when you're when your metabolism and your system is otherwise sort of working, quote unquote, normally or OK. Um, but it's just harder and harder to find a research or or I should say increasingly, um, there's more of that research being done, but traditionally a lot of the research is only in in these other populations. So that was the first thing that caught our eye. It was like, oh, here's a sleep study. And they screened for people who didn't have any of those conditions. So it's people who were, were basically otherwise uh, healthy. The other thing that was kind of unique, particular to sleep studies, a couple of things they did here. One is that the research was done in people's homes. So it was about a two-week period in which they studied people. And a lot of times with sleep studies, again, for kind of self-evident reasons, the research is often done in sleep labs because they want to really control the environment. And often the kind of measurement they're doing and the monitoring they want to do requires a lot of a lot of technology, a lot of machines. And so people go sleep in sleep labs. But of course, you know, most people sleep differently in a lab somewhere than they do at home. Um, and so this one was actually conducted in people's homes and people wore a little kind of monitor called an that that measured their sleep. And the third thing they did that was uh, unique here is that they use standardized meals. So this is always a big challenge in any kind of study that involves nutrition is do you use, uh, do you let people eat what they normally eat? And that has certain advantages. Or do you standardize the meals and say only eat these things? In this case, they gave people standardized meals to eat. And what that allows you to do is compare not only what they call within person, which is basically one person's response to various meals or various inputs, meals and sleep, and various kind of aspects of sleep, um, but also gives you a better opportunity to control, to to compare between people. So now we know that subject A and subject B at least ate the same meal. They might have other physiological differences. They might have other sort of sleep inputs, um, but at least the meal is the same. So those three things together made this study You know one that we wanted to look at and just briefly what what they looked at what the study did was had people um, wear a continuous glucose monitor so they could get real-time measurement of glucose response eat standardized meals and uh, sleep kind of according to how they they wanted to sleep over the course of two weeks and then what they looked at was basically how their bodies responded particularly their glucose uh, sensitivity to those different kind of sleep inputs. So whether they slept longer or shorter than normal, how good their sleep was, which say like how often they woke up, how kind of interrupted their sleep was. And another interesting aspect they looked at, which, which sleep studies always look at was how quote unquote typical their sleep night was. So um, did they go to bed at the same time and sleep for the same amount of time? Or did things look different if they slept the same amount of time, but they just went to bed later, right? They just if like they normally go to bed at 11 and then on a particular night, they fell asleep at one instead, but slept the same amount of time. Did that have an impact the next day? And so they were really looking at glucose responses to kind of the first meal you eat the next day after these different kind of sleep inputs. And those were the results that they came out of that we can talk more about.
1: Yeah. one, One thing that is interesting to note is how much the quality and duration of sleep can change based on these inputs. So uh, assume that a person has high cortisol. They've got a ton of stress. It's like their sleep will be different. And that every everything is downstream, right? Where you can have poor sleep and that gives you poor glucose uh, variability or higher, we'll call it higher oscillation the next day. Um, poor food choices, like what you ate throughout a day. Those things matter. Alcohol makes a huge difference. Um, lack of exercise, not getting enough duration. Like these all... Um, these all end up being confounding variables when starting to to look at these things so it sounds like the study controlled for as many of these factors as possible so that it could look at like what was the next day's um, glucose data to see how much variability there would be and what the average levels were
0: that's right and the other thing they did uh, that's helpful in that vein is people also did a, a- a glucose tolerance test as a sort of control so that's a test that you'll often get at at the doctor if they see some kind of potential glucose issues or insulin issues Um, and an oral glucose tolerance test is where you basically drink a disgusting drink that has 75 grams of sugar in it but it's very standardized and then you measure how the body is dealing with that glucose at set time periods often like half hour hour two hours afterwards it's usually called a two-hour glucose tolerance test but you often take measurements beforehand And again, the idea there is just to to have a very standardized sort of input. It's not like, you know, well, you ate a carb-heavy meal. Well, as we know, you know, and we see it in in our data and and you see it in research, there's a ton of individuality in how people process actual food. So even if, even in these kinds of standardized meals where you can control for the macronutrient content, you can say this meal has X number of carbs, X amount of protein, X amount of fat. um, We still know people's bodies are just going to respond differently. You know, we see folks who spike on pasta and folks who don't. So at least the oral oral glucose tolerance test everybody's taking the exact same thing and it's really just a sugar drink um so it's about as simple as you can get to say all right here's a whole bunch of glucose at once um what's your body going to do with it and it's really that what what that's largely testing is your insulin is how quickly is your insulin dealing with and responding to and shuttling that excess glucose out of your bloodstream and so that was also done with all these subjects which kind of gave you a control right it gave you something to measure against of like all right here's how their body responds to that very standardized input Now we can sort of compare that to these various standardized meals and it gives them ability to, to control a little bit for those individual differences.
1: Nice. And then what, what ended up being some of the findings when, um, when they started digging into the data, like what did they see that would have been maybe eye opening or a new revelation when it comes to this data around sleep and the impact
0: of sleep on glucose levels? A couple of things that were, there were a couple of aspects of it that I think were were interesting or notable and a couple that were maybe expected. But you know, I'll say even when we see results that that are expected, that's still useful, right? Seeing, seeing consistent data across studies is is always helpful. We we like the new and exciting stuff where we, oh, we've never seen this before. But then of course, those kind of results we also have to say, well, you know, until we see that repeated in other studies, we're not quite sure how seriously to take that. But the couple of things that were unique here, one was that the sleep duration didn't make as big a difference here. In other studies, that's a an input that seems to really have a, an effect on glucose control and just sort of general health and all sorts of metabolites in your body the next day is, is sleep duration. We know that short sleep can impose, um, you know, in one study, there's a study where people got something like four hours of sleep, four or five hours of sleep for a couple of days, and their glucose control was sort of equivalent to that of, of people with diabetes. Like we know that short sleep can have a real effect. Here it didn't, but the authors suggest in here their their sort of conclusion on this is that maybe the reason we don't see this is they say it's that the effect of sleep duration and glycemic control may be nonlinear and what they basically mean by that is that you might actually need um, a pretty significant variation in the amount of sleep to get an effect so in other words the difference between sleeping seven or eight hours like if you typically sleep eight and you get seven may just not have that big impact if you slept four you would see the very big impact so that was one thing that You know i think was notable maybe a little bit surprising but also it's it's one of those things that when you read it in there you shouldn't take to mean like oh sleep duration doesn't matter (laughs) there are these kind of nuances in there that well maybe it's about sort of how much sleep how much variation in the sleep duration you get um the other thing that was interesting in here was that point i mentioned they studied about um what they call sort of sleep timing which is when you went to bed and variation from what you normally do and what they found is that actually did happen an effect. So that's kind of an interesting one as well. If you're really fixated on just getting your your eight hours a night, right? If you find that's what makes you feel better. And so you always work to get your eight hours, but it varies a lot day to day because maybe the schedule of your day varies or or whatever. You know, some days you go to bed at 10, some days you go to bed at 1 and you just say, well, like, well, whatever time I fall asleep, I'll just make sure I get my eight and wake up the next day. They found that did actually have an impact on, on glucose control when you ate breakfast the next day. So that's an, another interesting finding that, you know, I think we'd love to see more follow-up study on to see how much of a difference that makes and to do more sort of controls around, well, how much of a difference does it make? You know, how much variation from normal really seems to produce an impact. The couple of findings they had that were a little bit more expected, but I think still interesting again, given some of these other controls of of healthy population, you know, sleeping in their in their beds, um, One was that what you eat actually really matters. Now, again, that seems sort of obvious, but To unpack that a little bit, the standardized meals that they had folks eat, um, there were a variety of them and they had different macronutrient compositions. So some were really high carbs, some were really high fat, some were high proteins. They had different makeups to them to kind of see what to basically answer this question of like, well, okay, we can say that, um, you know, for instance, having um, variation from your normal sleep pattern impacts glucose control the next day. Well, is that true no matter what you eat? you know, if I eat eggs and bacon, which is a very high protein meal, you know, high fat, but pretty low carb, is that going to have the same effect as if I eat a bowl of cereal the next day? And what they found is no, what you eat really matters. So the effect, um, the the degree of effect that sleep caused was more significant when you ate a high carbohydrate meal than if you ate a sort of high protein meal. Um, and I think what we can talk about takeaways in a minute, but I think it just underlines something I've really tried to keep in mind as I've learned more about about the relationship between sleep and metabolic health, which is, if you know that your sleep was off a night before, and you usually do, right, sometimes we might have nights of sleep, where we don't realize how much we were waking up. But most of the time, we know we went to bed too late, we slept too little, we were up a lot, whatever. Um, I usually just take that as a clue to like, the next day, try to eat better. Like, if you're gonna have your, your cheat, your quote, unquote, cheat meal, or you're going to eat something carby, or you're tempted on something the next day, just know that probably your body is not going to handle it as well as if you were coming in on a, on a really good night of sleep. And this study, um, you know, kind of impacted that. The last thing I'll mention, the last finding that, um, again, was not unexpected, but was still good to see, was that it wasn't just duration. And it wasn't just um, how normal or how, how, ver- how much variation from normally your sleep was, it was also that quality of sleep thing, or what they call it, sleep efficiency, or disturbed sleep, that also had a, a real impact on glucose control the next morning. And it was basically, you know, the better of the better sleep you got, which meaning meaning to say the the less sort of disrupted, um, the more likely you were on average to have a lower glucose response to breakfast the next day. So again, you know, sleep quality does matter. Yeah.
1: And w- one thing that we've learned is how big given an impact eating too close to bedtime can be right so it's like that alone where your body's trying to metabolize all this you gave yourself all this food assume that it was standard like you ate at let's just say it was you ate at 5 p.m versus you ate at 9 p.m and assume you went to bed at 10 p.m in both cases you're uh with that meal your body is trying to metabolize something and you're uh you are going into a sleep state, you're still going to be working through that food and processing it. You're not using that energy. And so the way that your body will treat that the next day is going to vary. And so things like timing of the food input, alcohol makes a big um, impact or has a big impact on quality of sleep. Like there are all so many factors. And one thing we have also learned is around compounding, where it's like, Compounding of poor choices over a number of days leads to all of these downstream factors. So it's not it's not just a matter of like oh well I can't figure out why poor sleep quality can be due to like eating uh, high naked carbohydrate meals too many days in a row. It's like you can't snap your fingers and say great I had a salad now like I'm back to normal. It's like it takes a while for your body to get to a point of we'll call homeostasis or your own homeostasis where you feel like you um like you're a little bit more balanced so these are all factors that when thinking through some of these studies it's like it's important to note it can't just be a matter of like get good quality sleep get more sleep eat like meals that aren't uh high carbohydrates that are don't have fat fiber protein like there's so many factors that come into these things that um we try and reinforce in all the information we put out. That's like, there are a lot of factors, they make a big difference and we have to take them all into consideration.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And the thing that comes to mind is, as you mentioned that all the different things that can impact sleep is, you know, the other thing it, it it always reminds me is that sleep is one of those things that is within your control. So there's a lot of things that about health in general that aren't in your control, right? Your genetic uh, makeup and sometimes even things like you know, for a lot of folks, the kind of food they have access to or what they're sort of able to afford or or prepare or whatever sometimes can be challenging. But sleep is one of those things that that you can control. I mean, you know, we're both parents. We know that some nights you can't control it. Um, Kids wake up and you got to go got to go deal with it. But to the extent that you can, keeping in mind all of those things that affect sleep, what time of day you eat, you know, whether or not you have alcohol before bed, trying to go to bed at a consistent time, you know, again, to the extent you're able those are all levers to keep in mind. And things that again, with some effort, you can kind of control that can have that sort of downstream effect. Um, And, you know, I think that's useful when we think about these sort of, we call kind of the four main levers of glucose, there's others, but, you know, diet is the one we talk about all the time, but sleep, um, stress and exercise are the other big three. Um, And keeping in mind all of these factors about sleep and understanding that yes, sleep is going to have some kind of impact, I think is really helpful.
1: So why don't we go into the takeaways, what people can actually do, the takeaways and the conclusion, the way we can think about this information moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, really, it's it's a lot of the things we were just talking about. It's, it's basically remembering, I would say the high level takeaways, remember that um, sleep matters. So I think there's a real, um, I think there's a real instinct. I, I think a lot of us have, I can say at least for myself, I spent a, a good part of my life sacrificing sleep for anything else, right? It was like, if I didn't work out for the day, well, then I'll stay up later to get my workout in or to do my work. Or um, maybe I'm gonna get my workout and then I'll eat really late. And, and sleep is often the thing that, that just sort of, it sucks up all the other sort of behavior. And that's the thing that you just let kind of fall off. And I think a lot of us feel, especially when we're younger, like you can just power through that, right? You're used to going through college, not sleeping that much, staying up late, doing whatever. Um, It's been a real helpful for me to remember that like, no, no, it has a real significant impact. And I found for myself, and again, consistent with what the study found, that um, if I have bad sleep, if I'm paying attention to my sleep quality, whether that's how much I woke up, whether it's duration of sleep, if I know I had a short night's sleep, or this other metric that was talked about in here of like, how much variation was it from what I normally do? um, I do feel off the next day. And I, I do find that my response to things I eat the next day, um, you know, really really varies. And so that's really the first thing is I would say high level, just remember that sleep is a real input um, to your metabolic health, to how your body's going to deal with food. I think on some of the specifics, you know, again, one of the takeaways uh, I had from this that I caused me to think a little bit more about my own habits was that consistency issue. Because I have been really fixated as I've been trying to improve my sleep quality on that duration thing. I've, I've always felt like, well, that's the thing, right? Like I'm used to just, um, Some nights it's five hours, some nights uh, when I feel like I'm doing good, I'll get my seven or eight. um, But I really pay no attention to what time of night I go to bed. And so this has helped me remember to, you know, try to not only get the duration of time, but try to keep it consistent, go to bed at a similar time, wake up at a similar time every day. And then I think, you know, the other um, point we mentioned earlier of if you don't, I think it's important with all these factors to remember, we talk about this a lot. You know, having one of them go not ideally or not optimally right. You eat a meal that you know isn't perfect. You have a bad night of sleep. You miss a workout in a given day doesn't mean the day shot doesn't mean that you can't do anything else. The good thing about there being multiple levers of of health, or you know, particularly in this case of metabolic health and glycemic control, is that if one levers off, you can pull the other levers. And so, again, I think that's a reminder. It was a reminder for me looking at the study that if I know I had a bad night of sleep, which, you know, unfortunately is several nights, I I know that I didn't get as much or didn't have the control. Um, Then I just pull those other levers the next day. And it's like, all right, I'm going to be really careful about what I eat this morning. I'm going to have my, you know, for me, it's like eggs would be my sort of healthy breakfast, very protein, low carb, as opposed to the cinnamon roll or something else that I might be tempted to eat. Because uh, I know that's just going to compound the negative effect where I can help maybe counter the negative effect by just treating my body well or making sure I get, you know, maybe low impact exercise the next day. I maybe don't have enough energy to do a hard hit workout, but if I just go for a lot of walks the next day, well, that's pulling that exercise lever, you know, that again is going to give my body the best shot to like, even in its kind of, you know, slightly dysfunctional state because of my my poor sleep quality, it's going to set it up for the best success. So I think that, that notion that we learned here in the study about, what you eat matters the next day was a reminder of that point of like, if one lever's off, just pull the other levers.
1: Mm -hmm. The one line that's from the post, every, uh, even a single night's deviation from one's normal sleep routine has a detectable impact on blood, blood glucose control. Very important to know because it's like, you think that, and that's back to the idea of like, it compounds over time and so it's one of those things where if you do to your point if you do have a poor (laughs) poor night of sleep whether it's duration or quality or the time that you went to bed like certain factors where you go now i've got enough of a mental model for like what this might mean it's like yeah just don't eat the high carb breakfast the next day don't make the choice that will lead you to make poor choices the next day through for lunch or for dinner because you start to think, Oh, the day is shot. Like you said, it's like, you can always make adjustments and making those adjustments will get you to a balanced state over time. But that's where people all of a sudden they go like, Oh, I feel like I'm way off the rails. And I've been like this for seven days, right? Because they got you got like, you had one bad meal that led you to sleep bad. And then you made a poor choice the next day. And then you feel bad and you missed a workout. Next thing you know, you're stressed. And there's all these other things going on. You're like, I can't figure out what is going on. It's like, well, you can't just keep letting all of these other factors compound because it will lead you to have poor glucose control and poor glucose variability and average glucose levels there are all of these factors. So, so what, what can people do? Um, if there's, in addition to sleep hygiene, um, we've talked about that, maintaining good sleep hygiene, making good choices. Are there any other things that people can do um, that we haven't covered?
0: No, I think that's really it. I think it's, you know, To the point you were just making about the compounding effects of all of this stuff, you know, just remember that it sort of goes both ways that like, you know, poor outcome or poor choice, you know, plus poor choice, plus poor choice, plus poor choice will lead to a very negative outcome. Whereas like one poor choice does not mean that like your day is shot. And I think a lot of folks get, um, I've been I, I follow the rock on instagram and he talks about occasionally has these posts where he calls the efforts i won't use the the curse but he but he says you know oh, i got a case of the efforts and he's known for his, you know, discipline and he eats really well and he does all these things but he'll say oh i had a case of the efforts and i just you know i ate the the big plate of french toast or whatever it was and i always cringe a little bit when i see that because i i get it i get that case i get that sometimes you have a poor night's sleep You know, what's really going on is that because you had a poor night's sleep, your decision-making ability is just off, right? Like you're just not as sharp as you would otherwise be. And so it's so easy to get to that place where you go like, ah, screw it. Like day's already off. I had a poor night's sleep. I, I, I deserve the cinnamon rolls. I'm going to eat those. And then like, oh, now I feel like crap because I ate the cinnamon rolls. I'm not going to go for that walk and just trying to get yourself out of that mindset and remember that one poor choice is something that it happened. And there was probably lots of reasons why it happened. And like, just start from zero, just like, all right, that's done. You know, now let's make the next good choice. Like, you know what, let's not eat this in a Let's like eat something else. And like, let's actually drag ourselves out and go for that walk. And then you get the effect going the other way, right? Like you go for the walk and you feel better. And then you're like, yeah. oh, that's right. This is in my control. I don't have to just give up. I don't have to have a case of the efforts I can just you know, go for that walk, and I feel better. And when I get back, because I feel better, I actually want to eat something a little healthier, and then I feel a little bit better. And then that all sets me up for a better night's sleep tonight. Right. And it sort of compounds and builds the other way. So that's the way I try to, to think about, you know, what these kinds of studies tell us about the choices we make.